Well, Dave, <clears throat> Dave had no idea, but this morning I'm in Ephesians chapter 4. So uh, I'm glad he read it. Um, we had company this past week, uh, all week long, and so uh, I didn't, wasn't able to give the time to the exposition of John that I wanted to give. So I've uh, fallen back on uh, Ephesians 4, which we studied when, when was that? That must have been about 05, 05 to 09, something like that. And so that's where we're headed this morning. So if you'll turn with me, look just at verses, uh, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> Let's back up to, uh, Let's back up to 11 and read through 16 once again. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers, should be pastor teachers, to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body of Christ, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the stature of the fullness of Christ, so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by the waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness in deceitful schemes. Rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into Him who is the head, into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together with by every joint with which it is equipped, when each part is properly working, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. I purposely picked this passage because <clears throat> we're living in such a volatile time. The, the church... Across the world is the true church across the world is suffering, particularly in places like Afghanistan, North Korea, Venezuela, many other places. America is kind of uh, numb to what the rest of the world is experiencing. There are places even in free Europe, in Canada, Australia, that are now persecuting the Church of Christ for seeking and desiring to do the will of God. We experienced a little of that, and yet our Our legal system has vindicated us to some degree, but I think it's just a matter of time until those kinds of things are turned over to the states and then the states will dictate. At least uh, some states, uh, some are better than others in this regard. But we live in a time when you can turn on the 
the TV or tune in the radio and you hear, you hear things said like that seem almost foreign in nature. Things like critical race theory, social justice, intersectionality. Uh, these terms are being thrown around. They've been politicized and they've been culturalized in our day to fit the narrative of those in power. In this passage, the Apostle Paul was dealing with things that were that fit the the narrative of his day, things like false doctrine, fake demonstration, fraudulent deceit. These were things that were plaguing the church. These things are still alive. They're still here. We hear about them. I hear about them every week. I get emails from news sources, credible news sources, that that keep me uh, apprised of things that are happening in the Christian world, particularly in the evangelical Christian world and beyond. I hear every week of those who once claimed the faith of Christ who have now defected and are no longer no longer either calling themselves Christians or have moved into error to such a degree that they don't even sound or look like Christians anymore. What do we do with these kinds of things? How do we how do we navigate the deception and the fraud And the fake demonstration of our time. Paul gives us the answers to these questions. These things are running rampant in our society and much of Christendom. We now see those who once we thought were solid Bible teachers joining forces with the Pope and and even the religions that are anti-Christian. <clears throat> these are the very these are the negatives that are found in verses 14 and 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 he talks about those things and I'm not going there. What I want to go t- to is is verse 15 and 16. Because what we have beginning with all the negatives of verse 14, now we have the positives that he is centering on. How do we, how do we combat what he mentions in verse 14 of, of Christians being children tossed about by the waves of False teaching and false teachers being tossed about like the sea. James speaks of that kind of person as one weak in the faith. They're like the sea, tossed about. If you ever, if you ever been in the ocean, bobbing up and down on a boat, uh, you understand what that means. There is no solid ground to be found. 
It's just tossed back and forth, up and down. These are not the marks of maturity. Paul gives us the marks of maturity in verse 15 when he speaks of the absolute truth that is spoken in love. He says, rather, speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head into Christ. So rather than thinking like and remaining as children and being unduly influenced by false teaching and false teachers, we are to become traffickers of the truth. Traffickers of love. And not just love alone. For the unbelieving world can love. They can show love. They can have love to one another. They can be giving. They can be kind. They can be generous. It is love and truth that we must remember go together. For love by itself without the truth of Christ is love simply from a human standpoint. And it it makes no difference in eternity. And that's the way we minister to one another. It starts with us and it flows out from here to the rest of society. Truth can be a noun defining actions, state of mind, or facts about a particular thing. Here it is a verb speaking mainly to the reality of the truth into someone making it a matter of record who deems God as that truth. Literally, it says that we are to truth, or that is, as the participle has it, we are to be truthing in love. Truthing in love. It is the speech and actions that makes the vehicle, (coughs) that makes truth the vehicle And puts love into motion. Without truth, love is just simply by itself and has no ground to rest upon. It includes spirit-led confrontation to tell the truth so that others can live in God's reality rather than living in personal illusion. That's where most of the world is right now. Did you know that? They live in personal illusion. They are eluded by the culture, by the rhetoric, by the politicization. They're eluded and deluded by their own personal whims and desires. Someone has said truth without love is brutality. But love without truth is hypocrisy. In this epistle, Paul addresses the truth and ties it with Christ at least six times. Because Christ is the truth from which all truth in the cosmos originates. It's all about him. It's all from him. 
It's all to Him and it's all through Him as Romans 16 states. The point is, is that rather, that we are to, in order to traffic in the truth, one must know what the truth is and one must have been growing in that truth. You cannot practice or traffic in something that you are not genuinely familiar with. Now, we all know what trafficking is. We hear about it all the time. Minnesota is number two in the nation for sex trafficking. Our trafficking is done in the truth. And it has, a, a, it has an outward result This kind of life is far more powerful than the aforementioned negative life of being tossed about to and fro by every wind of doctrine and the cunning craftiness of deceitful people because it removes the fear, get this now, it removes the fear of evil hidden motives that might be revealed and cause embarrassment or shame. See, there's no shame in truth. There's no shame in it. But there is shame in evil, hidden, personal illusions of all different kinds. We know what it's all about. It's about money. It's about power. And it's about control. Whether it's political... Or whether it's religious, it is about those things. So the truth frees each individual to live transparently before one another. And this promotes growth. Which is what we're commanded to do instead of remaining as children. Now the question is, how do we grow like that? How does one come to the place where they're not tossed about like children, where they, where they are not taken in by the craftiness of deceitful human beings. How do you come to that place? And the apostle tells us how we do that in verse 15. So let's look at it. There, we are to come to adulthood patterned In Christ. We are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. Into Christ. This is accomplished by the means of the gifts mentioned in verse 11. Apostles. Prophets. Evangelists. And pastor teachers. The apostles are gone. There are no more apostles. Don't let anyone fool you. With regard to that truth. John was the last apostle and he died about 100 A.D. The apostles are gone. But when Paul wrote this, the apostles were still living. And so the apostles are listed first because they were the ones that wrote the scriptures inspired by God and were the ones that laid the foundation For the New Testament church in doctrine and truth. Next is the prophets. 
He's not speaking about Old Testament prophets who who prophesied of things that would happen in the future. He's talking about those who expound the word as prophets. And then you have evangelists who who preach the gospel and and bring people into the kingdom through the preaching of the gospel. These are people who are not necessarily settled in one place, but possibly move from place to place preaching the gospel. And then you have pastor teachers who are settled generally in one place, who preach from week to week to God's people to build them up in the faith. These are the gifts that God has given to the church. So let's take each phrase of this beginning in verse 15. I don't know how far we'll get with this this morning, but we'll go as long as we can until our time is up. <clears throat> so I want to do, I want to get into these phrases by leading questions. How do we come to this place of adulthood or maturity? And what is the result? First is what? What is supposed to happen? We are to grow up. <clears throat> now, I know I've been here now many years. I have watched many of you over those years who've been here uh, any length of time. I've watched you grow in the faith and in the grace of Christ and the love of Christ. I've watched you grow. And I know many of you have grown. You can see it. You can hear it in their, what they say, what you say. And you can, you can see it in attitudes and you can see it in actions as you deal with one another. Now we're all prone to go back into childhood. It is often said that when people get old, they enter into a second childhood. Well, I'm getting old, but I don't want to go back into childhood. I don't want to act like a two or a three year old with regard to my brothers and sisters. Just don't want to do that because you and I both know how two and three year olds act. Don't we? So what is supposed to happen? This command is given in many other places in scriptures to grow up. First Peter chapter two, verse two, like newborn infants long for the pure milk of the word that you may grow up into salvation. <clears throat> Second Peter three, 18, but grow in grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Paul's desire for the believers here to grow is found in this epistle in Ephesians in three different places, all with Christ as the goal. First chapter, verses 16 to 18. Third chapter, verses 14 to 19. And here in this passage that we read this morning, <clears throat> he also writes to the other churches, the church at Corinth, he writes in 2 Corinthians 10, verse 15, he uses a, di a different word is used to translate the same word that's used here for grow. He says this, we do not boast beyond limit in the, in the labors of others, but our hope is that your faith increases. 
Same word, grows. That it grows. He writes to the Colossians. As indeed in the whole world, it is bearing fruit, speaking of the gospel, and increasing. There's the word, same word. He writes in verse 9. From the day we heard of this gospel in you, we have not ceased to pray for you, asking that you may be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Why, Paul? So as to walk in a manner worthy of our Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work and increasing, growing, growing. If you come to the place in your life, no matter how old you get, where you can, where you cannot say, where you say, I'm, I'm too old to learn anything else, and then you've missed the boat completely. Claire Murphy is now almost 102 years old. She told us not long ago, you're never too old to learn something new. Well, that's the attitude, isn't it? Just keep on. Because as long as you're in this fleshly limited body, you'll, you'll have things to learn. <clears throat> This was happening on some fronts, as the Apostle Paul writes this letter to the Ephesians. It was certainly happening in Thessalonica. Listen to what he says to them. We ought always to give thanks for you, to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. Wow. That is the greatest compliment that anyone could ever give to any church. Your faith is growing abundantly. If we're going to be known by something, let's be known by our faith that is growing abundantly. It has a result, which we'll look at. He says, now listen to this. This is the last part of the of 2 Thessalonians 1.3. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, because this is right, because your faith is growing abundantly. And the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Same word, growing. So now we have faith coupled, growing faith coupled with growing love for one another. For one another. So when our faith grows, so does our love and vice versa. This is what is supposed to happen to the children of God as they move from one stage of growth to the next. So we are to be truthing in love. How is this supposed to happen? Notice, he says it is supposed to happen in every way. In every way. That's not hard to understand, is it? There seems to be an underlying thought in Christianity, particularly in evangelicalism, there seems to be an underlying thought of the difference between general activity and spiritual life. Do 
There is, this is a vital difference and it is vital that we understand the difference between these two things. General activity and spiritual life. Much of Christianity focuses today on what you're doing. What you're doing. Do, do, do. This is what I'm hearing. And a lot of this, a lot of this is the thrust of the social justice movement that has, that has paralyzed and divided the church today. Because it is centered on doing. Martin Lloyd Jones, the great Bible teacher, the last Puritan of the modern era, likens it to the difference between the activity of a machine and the activity of a tree. You see, a machine, and Paul spends, in fact, Paul spends a great deal of time in Galatians chapter 5 on these two things. He, in that chapter, he deals with the flesh and what the flesh produces. And he deals with what the spirit produces. And he, it's like he's talking about the flesh like some machine that just, that just works and it does the same thing, things over and over. It just stamps out the same things in rote just over and over. It's doing the same work. It has no life in it. It doesn't change. It doesn't, it doesn't increase or do, it just stamps out the same old stuff all the time. Has no life. But a tree, a tree is a living thing. A tree draws life from its roots up through its trunk and sends that life out in the form of fruit that grows. It changes. It provides. It has evidence of life in it. A machine has no evidence of life in it. It just goes... In our day, the common misconception is that if there's activity, then there must be spiritual life. It is a serious, deadly trap. And a church can fall into it so easily. Before I came here, I was told, I did not witness it personally. Some of you may remember uh, but there was there was a very a very talented and almost professional musical program in this church and a lot of people came because of that i'm not saying they didn't have decent preaching i'm sure they did i heard some good things about the preaching too but the thing that really drew people was that that really top-notch professional music. But it didn't last. See, that's the problem. That's the problem with activity that is equated with spiritual life. It doesn't last. 
You have to have something better. You have something good, now you have to have something better. And better. It's like the machine. Spiritual, just having activity may not be the case of having spiritual life. That's why, folks, we have purposely not put into place all kinds of programs to give you something to do every day or night of the week. You don't need stuff to do. You don't need to be active like that so that you can think, wow, man, we're really spiritual. Look how much we've got to do. No. We focus on the family. We focus on dads leading and moms nurturing. And the family picks up that which they're supposed to be doing to start with. I'm not saying that programs are a bad thing, but they certainly could be if people are pushed and given so much to do and think that if they don't do, they're not spiritual. It can become a really tedious, laborious thing. In February of 1923, Howard Carter, an English archaeologist, found the tomb of Pharaoh Tutankhamun. Astonishingly, the mummified body of Tutankhamun had been perfectly preserved by the ancient Egyptian rites of and practices of mummification. But though they found his body perfectly preserved, he was also perfectly dead. We must not be deceived into believing that just because something looks like it has life, that it actually has life in it. We must not believe that activity is equal to spiritual life. Paul is not talking about externals here. He is, ta- he is saying that spiritual growth, true spiritual progress will take place as the saints of God move from childhood and, and childhood squabbles over petty preferences to mature endurance based upon truth. I counsel people all the time to say this. When they tell of their problems with this or that or that person or that person. say, what does the Bible say? What does it say? Just live by that. What does it say? The mature growth that changes... Changes the desires and appetites of the believer from a quick fix attitude to a patient enduring attitude that is the mark of true growth. Patient endurance. There is no greater place to have patient endurance than number one in your own home with each other and in the local church. Those are the two places where you can practice patient endurance the best because those are the people that you are the closest to. Out in the world, you can practice it 
but it's far more applicable here. Second Corinthians 5 speaks of this. Christ died for all, therefore all have died. He died for all that those who now live, he's speaking of believers, that those who now live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who died for their sake and was raised. Old things, he is, they are new creations. Old things are passed away. Behold, new things have come. Everything changes in time. Everything. Colossians 1.18, he is the firstborn from the dead, that, ev- that in everything he might be <coughs> preeminent. So where is this supposed to happen? Where? It is to happen into him who is the head into Christ. Kind of a misunderstood phrase. The key to understanding that phrase is the word into. It's translated or interpreted in three different ways. One says it is in relation to Christ as we grow up into him. We grow in relation to him. That's one way. The, uh, another says that into him refers to our incorporation with him. We've been incorporated into Christ. There's a third that says into him refers to the end of or the goal of our growth. And I think that's what he's talking about. I think the context bears that out because you have Christ becoming the goal or the example to follow. It also matches verse 13 where he says until we attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. Attainment. To unity, attainment to faith, attainment to full stature of Christ. So the end goal is to become like Christ. And that's, isn't that what Paul says in Romans 8.29? That we are to be conformed to the image of God's Son. Conformed to. Christ then not only becomes the source, but he also becomes the goal. In other words, it means that Christ is the means through which we grow because of his ever-sufficient grace and power given to us through his word. He becomes the object of our growth. And that is true. John says that in 1 John 4, 17, as he is, so are we in the world. We're little Christs in this world. Listen to the whole verse, 1 John 4, 17. By this is love perfected in us, so that we have, may have confidence on the day of judgment, because as he is, so are we in the world. It speaks of judgment. And those whose lives are like his. Having confidence that they are not going to be judged. But rather received. And have favor by God. Not judgment. 
Christ is the goal, and we are to be like Him. I have I have ten minutes here to uh, look at verse sixteen, so I'm going to I'm going to rush, okay? Because I'm going back to John next week. <clears throat> what we have, <clears throat> excuse me. Um, <clears throat> well, I wanted to deal with the the head. I'll just say this about. Christ as the head, it deals with authority, it deals with leadership, and it deals with controlling power. That is Christ as the head. He is our authority, our leader, and He is our Lord. Now, verse 16, notice verse 15 was more individual, verse 16 is more corporate. Now there is cooperation from the body, the church. We could say that previous verses spoke of stability and growth. Here, that stability and growth in the lives of individuals operates in a cooperation as a body. It's like all the individuals with all their differences and all their different preferences and all their different likes and dislikes come together As one unit and they look like they're one body operating like a body. This is what Paul writes to the Corinthian church in chapter 12 of 1 Corinthians. That the church is like a body. It has head and members of body, fingers, toes, hands, feet. It moves, but each one moves as it is gifted to move. I can't write with my feet. Now, if you can write with your feet, that is a real feat in itself. But most people can't unless they're, <clears throat> unless they're something wrong with their arms or hands and they learn to do that. Johnny, Johnny Erickson Tata learned to paint with her feet. And oh my goodness, she, that's incredible. The, the talent. So it's cooperation. And he uses the analogy of the human body as a result of bringing about the function of unity. Notice, first of all, there is reliance from whom the whole body. From whom? Where does it come from? It comes from Christ, who is the head. Everything you do, Every move you make is is started here in your brain. And it's acted out as the, as everything goes through the different members of the body. That's why you can pick up a pen and write. Your brain is signaling all those thousands and thousands of signals to get you to make it where you can do that. And that's what he's talking about. Christ is the head of the church. He is the brain of the church. And as he thinks, and as he moves, it moves. And so the body, the church, has its head, the one, as its head, the one to whom all rule is, has been given. So headship always implies Permanence and prominence. (coughs) 
The headship of Christ means that the body is subject to him in everything. He is the Lord and we are his slaves. He has become the model of our existence as believers. And as the source of grace and power. And as the goal of our life endeavor. We recognize his supremacy and his superiority over all creation. Not only that, but we rely on him as the supplier of all our needs. We rely on him. You know, I'm sure that our brothers and sisters in Afghanistan are, are getting an idea of what that means. To rely on him for everything. Even their own lives. He is before all things and in him all things hold together. He is the cohesion of the universe and he is the cohesion of the church. So, without him, we would have nothing, we would be nothing, and we would do nothing. So there is reliance. Second, there is refreshment. Notice it says, joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped, joined and held together, both present participles indicating an ongoing process. He does this every day, day in, day out for his church around the world. Can you imagine all of the different circumstances? And yet he has it all under control, constantly built up, And nourished and matured as time goes along. Mm. Well, I'm going to skip to the third thing because I only have two minutes. Regular exercise. Regular exercise is the last thing. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow and builds itself up in love. Working means to be energized. You know how it, you know how it feels to. Uh, I think maybe guys will get a bigger a, a bigger uh, understanding of this. I know how I feel when I get when I get uh, I order something for the shop, and it comes, and I am energized. I want to get out there, and I want to put that thing to work. Maybe for. You ladies, maybe if you love to sew, maybe it's getting a a new pattern or a new sewing machine. If you don't like to sew, maybe it's something else. But you see what I mean. It's working. It's putting something to use, putting something into play, something that is meaningful. It energizes us, the power to operate. This comes from Christ and it Builds itself up for one dynamic reason. Love. Love. If we're going to be known for something, let it be known, let us be known for a faith that loves. I've heard it for years now. You have such a friendly Loving church. A lot of people say that to me. Visitors who come. Because of you. You go to the visitors. You want to, you're interested in them. You introduce yourself to them. You, 
You love on them and they feel it. So don't stop. Increase in that. Because it is the end result. This is what Christ did for us, is it not? My goodness, too much, too much to. uh, I'll end with the with the this first that these gifts, these the growth. Promotes unity in the body and unity within the organism of the church that is the church and can only be accomplished when every part is functioning properly. Second, that promotes the growth of the body to equip the saints so they can in turn give themselves for the working of the ministry to each other and to others in need. And third, they are given to promote the glory of the head who is Christ. If you love people, be sure you love them in Christ. Otherwise... You have no foundation for your love to stand on. This is the kind of church we want to be. In this deceitful generation that we live in. Father, we thank you for this Lord's Day. Thank you that we can come and worship. Sing and give and pray and preach. And Father, we pray, Lord, that you would be pleased. Help us to grow up into full adulthood, into Christ, so that our actions are truly flowing from our spiritual life and growth, not just actions. We do this at your command and for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen.